I want to preach a message to you this morning called The End is Clear. Turn to someone next to you and say, The End is Clear. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Come on. Acts chapter 2 is the story of a day called Pentecost, and we are in Pentecost this weekend. The word Pentecost just means 50 days after Easter, 50 days after the resurrection. So Jesus rose from the grave, and one of the things he shared with his disciples was, wait for the Holy Spirit. Um, If you will wait, and if you will pray, you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the disciples, uh, after Jesus had risen from the grave, resurrection changed everything, but they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was this prophetic word they had heard from Jesus. Uh, By the way, most of the Bible is prophecy. When you look from Genesis to Revelation, There is this word prophecy, which basically means things that are going to come, uh, that haven't happened yet. And you look throughout the Bible, and there's these prophetic words about a Messiah coming, about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, what's going to happen to the ends of uh, around the world and the end of the world. And so we know that the end is near, but the end is also clear. The Bible clearly tells us what is going to happen. And Pentecost is this perfect day where the Holy Spirit begins to release this prophetic word that God has for all people, for the whole church. Are you guys ready for it today? So Acts chapter 2, it says, On that day the disciples were gathered together on Pentecost, and they were in one place. They were all together, and they were in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. I need some help this morning. I want to invite up... um, Trey, Josh, Antonio, Vinay, come on up here. All four of you guys. Give these guys a big hand. They didn't know I was going to call them up. And, um, and there was also some women. So I need, I need some ladies. I need some help. But both of y'all come on up here. I need both of y'all. Come on up here. And Bethany, come on up here. And do you want to come up here too? Yeah, yeah, come on up. Come on up. <laughs> All of them are like, why are you calling me up in front of the whole church? Uh, but... What I love about this story is that these disciples, they were in one accord. They were in unity. There was no division. There was no strife. There was just a complete unity in prayer. Can I tell you right now, this is what the world needs. The world needs a Pentecost encounter with God. We need to get together and we need to pray. So I want you guys to just form a circle. You don't have to hold hands because I know we're doing the social distancing, but I want you to just begin to pray. Watch what happens in this moment. As these disciples are praying together, different tribes, different tongues, different language, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in the room and blew on that room. It was like the sound of a mighty violent wind. And what looked like tongues of fire appeared on top of their heads. And from that moment, they begin to speak in other tongues. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit does not make you weird. The Holy Spirit makes you powerful. The Holy Spirit does not make you strange. The Holy Spirit helps you to walk in the supernatural that God has called you to walk in. As the Holy Spirit came upon them, watch this. I want you guys to turn and face outwards. They left the room. And it stirred this, it was like the church was emerging out of this house. And they begin to walk out, yeah, just begin to walk off the stage. As they came into the streets, people were there that began to listen to them. You guys can go back to your seats. Give these guys a big hand. 
what happened was they were in one place and then it just began to break out. It is time for the church to break out with a new sound. And what happened, look at this. As they went out, there was in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of these disciples were speaking languages they had never spoken before. And these people from all over the world started hearing these languages and they said, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How do these Galileans know how to speak all of these languages? We're hearing Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Pontus, Asia. They were speaking languages that were from China, from Africa, from Eastern Europe, from all over the world. These were ordinary men that had been empowered by an extraordinary spirit. They were amazed and perplexed, and they said, what does this mean? Verse 13, some people, however, began to make fun of these disciples. And they said, these people are drunk. They've had too much wine. They've had too many spirits. They just didn't know the real spirit that was inside them. So Peter stands up, and he raises his voice because the Holy Spirit gives you power to speak up, stand up, show up, open up. The Holy Spirit does not make you shut down and sit down and stop talking. The Holy Spirit gives you power to say the right words at the right time, right in a moment when the nation needs it. These people are not drunk, Peter said. These people are not drunk. It's nine in the morning. No, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. We're in a time right now where people are, are rumbling. There's rumors about what's going on in our world right now. People are saying, is this a conspiracy? Is this a pandemic? And, 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 and asking all of these questions. Can I tell you, we are not in a conspiracy. We are in a prophecy right now. We are in a time where prophetic words that were written long ago, God is not surprised by what is happening in the world. This is fulfilling prophetic words. Peter said, listen, what you are seeing, what you are hearing was prophesied by a prophet named Joel before Jesus ever showed up. He said in the last days, the end is clear and the end is near. Everybody say in the last days. We are in the last days, church. We are in the last days right now, and it is not a time to be acting foolish. It is not a time to be kicking back and relaxing, living a lukewarm Christianity. It is time to wake up, rise up, show up, speak up, stand up. Peter said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm so thankful that God does not discriminate. When humans discriminate, the Holy Spirit doesn't. He pours it out on all people, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Latino. No, whatever tribe, tongue, language you speak, male or female, your sons and your daughters, they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will have visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. They will prophesy. I will have wonders in heaven above, signs on earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon will be turned to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. By the way, Jesus is coming back and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All of a sudden, the people in the streets were listening to Peter, this fisherman who did not graduate from an Ivy League school in Israel. Peter was not a, like an educated guy. He was just a fisherman, but he was preaching brilliantly. That's what happens when you get the Holy Spirit. God anoints you to do things. Listen, I don't have a doctor's degree, but when I start preaching in the spirit, there is some sort of intelligence that comes on me that I didn't know. I didn't figure out in, 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 in university. It, it, it comes when you receive the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I remember playing video games. PlayStation was my was my 
system. I had PlayStation and Super Nintendo, and I would play NBA Jam and, and Blitz. How many of y'all remember NBA Jam and Blitz? A couple of y'all in the room, okay. In those games, there were codes you could type in. If you got the right codes, you could, you could go into turbo power. And you could run faster. You could dunk from the other side of the court. You could do front flips and back flips while you dunked. You could go invisible on the football field. You could do all kinds of things. Can I tell you, when you get the Holy Spirit, you tap into turbo mode. You tap into a supernatural level. And there were certain codes. One of the codes was control shift. Control shift. Can I tell you, when you give a control shift and you stop trying to control your life and you let the Holy Spirit take control, you start walking in a supernatural power. It's time for the church to have a control shift. It's time for America to have control shift. It's time to give God everything we've got. When Peter started preaching, the hearts became open. Verse 37, it says the people were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? And Peter said, you've got to repent. The first step towards healing and salvation is repentance. And you've got to be baptized and put your faith in Jesus. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off and all who call on the name of the Lord will receive this gift. With those words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corruption in this generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and that day 3,000 people were added to the church. And let me tell you something, revival broke out. Momentum began to build. Now, when you hear revival, some of us in the room, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, we need revival. Well, what is revival? I love what Oral Roberts had to say about revival. Oral Roberts is the man who built the university across the street, in case you were wondering. And on that university, he built a prayer tower because he wanted prayer to be a key emphasis on the university. And at the top of the prayer tower, he put a flame. And he said, I don't want this flame to ever go out. This flame represents the Holy Spirit. We will be focused on being a spirit-empowered university. When my mom and dad built this church, they wanted to be across the street from that university to say, we will bring a spirit-empowered impact on our community and around the world. That's why last week we crossed 960,000 meals that we've given away as a church in less than 11 weeks. How did we almost give a million meals away in 11 weeks? It's called a Holy Spirit-empowered church. We couldn't do it back then. We couldn't do it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit gives you power to move into community transformation, community healing. Getting revival doesn't mean having an eight-hour-long church service. I just heard an amen from two people. <laughs> Don't worry. All the kids are like, amen. Tell my mom to come back and get me at children's church. And the kids' pastors are like, please pick up your kids. Revival doesn't mean having an eight-hour church service. Revival doesn't mean having church services night after night after night after night with eight hours. It's fine if that happens, but that's not what revival means. I feel like I'm touching some religious toes right here. Oral Roberts said this in his book on revival, and I love what he said. Revival is the revitalization of the church for a divine attack on society. Revival is marshalling of forces fatal to the kingdom of darkness. Revival is the enlisting, the training, the empowering of believers as a prelude to evangelization. Revival is God's military tactic that concentrates his resources for a vital blow at a crucial moment. Revival is that which reinvigorates God's people with truth and with power. Revival is more than long church services. 
Revival is where miracles happen outside the church building. Revival is a radical change in hearts of believers that results in a radical change in their neighborhoods, their communities, their towns, and the whole nation. Revival is when a church is set ablaze with a passion for Jesus and invites the Holy Spirit to help them impact their territory in a profound way that it is changed for good because of what God did in that church. Revival is when Jesus is lifted up in a city and everything gets healed and everything begins to get touched. Can I tell you right now, our nation needs revival. And it's happening in Tulsa. It's happening right now. We need what happened. On that day of Pentecost, revival broke out. Generosity overflowed. Everyone who had a need, their need was met. People began to meet in homes and they also met in the temple. They would meet in the temple once a week and they would meet in homes on other nights in the week. Can I tell you, that's what the church is called to do. We gather together as a large group and then we go to homes and we break bread and we talk together and we worship together and we fellowship together. It says that they did this and they would pray together. Revival ignites a prayer movement. Revival ignites, and it says they enjoyed the favor of God. The favor of God touched everything that they did, touched their homes, blessed their kids, and God added to the church daily. The end is clear. God wants to pour his spirit out on sons and daughters, on churches all over the world. And you know what really just stirs me to preach this message is that we have denominations that have pushed the Holy Spirit out. They have said, let's not talk about him. He's like the weird uncle that we don't want to admit is related to us. Can I tell you, he's not. He's part, like he is God. He is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's clear in the Bible. And in the last days, Jesus said the love will grow cold. There will be murder. There will be strife. There will be division. There will be anger. But those who are filled with the Spirit, those who are walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh, they will stand firm and they will see the salvation of their God. How important is this message? How important is this series that we're starting on end times? It is one of the most important series we've ever done. I was praying two weeks ago. I said, God, if I'm going to preach on end times, I don't want to scare people. I don't want people to be afraid. And, and I said, should I push this off towards, you know, some other time? Because we're, we're just now coming out of this quarantine and I kind of want to just calm people down. I heard God say, now is the perfect time to preach on end times. Now is the perfect time to prepare the church. When we preach on end times, by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about the last days. The Bible has a lot to say about the end. Preaching about end times is not meant to scare you. It's meant to prepare you. It's not meant to get you living in anxiety and fear and paranoia. As a kid, my mom and dad, they taught on end times a lot. And they would bring home all kinds of movies, like Left Behind 1, Left Behind 2, Left Behind 3, Left Behind 4, Left Behind 5, Left Behind 6 with Nicolas Cage, Left Behind with Kirk Cameron again. And then they would bring home um, Omega Code, Revelation, Tribulation, Mark of the Beast. Come on, how many of y'all grew up on some of those movies? And I was like eight years old watching guys' heads get cut off by the Antichrist. And I was like, what is going on? And I would get scared and I would say, mom, dad, I don't want to miss the rapture. I want to be ready. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be left behind with the mark of the beast and with Kirk Cameron and all these people over here. You know, I, I don't want. And they'd say, well, you know, you got to get, you stay right with God and be safe. And, and they, they did not want me to be scared. They wanted me to be prepared. And that's the love of a good mother and a father to prepare their kids. Yeah. Come on. Give it up for moms and dads preparing their kids. But I, I had anxiety at times that I would deal with. 
And I would be mowing the lawn and start to hear a sound in the sky. And I know it was an airplane, but it sounded like Jesus was coming back. Like, and I would turn off the lawnmower, get on my knees and say, Lord, I commit, I repent of all my sins and I commit you as my Lord and Savior. I don't want to miss the rapture. I kid you not, I was living with the fear of God and maybe a little extra fear as well. And I, I would go into the house and I would just make sure everyone was in, in the house. You guys here? And I would see clothes on the hallway and I'd be like, oh my goodness. Sarah, Ruthie, John. I thought John was gonna be left behind with me. <laughs> I was by myself and I thought I missed the rapture. And then someone would come in and say, don't worry, you didn't miss it, we're all here. But I had fear. Did anyone else have fear, anxiety about end times growing up? Okay, the Bible is clear about the end. It is not a time for believers to live in fear. It is a time for believers to rise up with faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, advancing the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I will come back. I'm going to heaven, but I am preparing a place for you so that one day you will spend eternity with God in heaven. I am building houses for you and I will come back and I will get the church and there will be a rapture and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then the believers that are here on earth will rise up with, come on, we have a promise in the word of God that death is not the end and we don't have to live afraid. Even though we're living in last days, and I believe what we've just walked through, this quarantine, this pandemic, and in Oklahoma, we're in phase three, coming out of it next week. Uh, praise God that we're moving forward with this, and we're praying for other states that are also coming forward with this, but the virus is still out there, and, and so it's not like it just disappears, and some people are saying, well, you know, governmental leaders are doing this, and there's a preparation for one world order, and there's dictators and presidents that are working together, and there's turmoil in the Middle East, and there's oil wars here, and there's this going on, and Jesus prophesied this. This isn't conspiracy. This is prophecy. Jesus said there will be rumors of wars. There will be hatred. There will be murder. There will be all kinds of, and then Jesus says, but take heart. I've overcome the world and stand firm and you will win the victory. Jesus said in the last days, it will be like Noah. Are you guys ready for this this morning? <laughs> all right, go with me to Matthew 24, Matthew 24. Eschatology is what we're in right now. It's called the study of end times, eschatology. When Jesus went up to heaven after he resurrected, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost and the early church was birthed and they had to be reminded of what Jesus had spoken. They didn't have Bibles back then. Listen to this. When the early church was growing at its like most rapid speed, there were no Bibles. There were no Bibles. They had to remember the stories Jesus had spoken. They had scripts that they would read uh, uh, that, that, that prophets had written. And so there was very few copies of some of these pages that were written by Isaiah. And then, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all writing their stories during this time. And so they would reflect back on what Jesus had said. But Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will remind you what I said. He will guide you into all truth. And they said, they asked Jesus before he left. They said, what will the end be like? That what will the end be like? And Jesus began to talk about this. Let's, let's, go to, um, let's go to verse 3 of Matthew 24. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will all of these end-time events happen? You know, there's a lot of predictors out there that like to predict certain dates, and, and we're still here. And there was predictions on billboards. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. 
Don't get in a guessing game. End times is not about trying to figure out a date on the calendar. It's about getting your character ready for Jesus's return. So he says, um, they said, when will all of this happen? When will all of these signs, the blood moons, and, and when will this begin to happen? It's so crazy that we're seeing a lot of this starting to happen. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception is going to be rampant. It already is. Did you know there are more podcasts out right now than there are humans? There's like 8 billion podcasts out there. I don't even know how it exists. And there are podcasts dedicated to dismantling Christianity in the religion section. And it's, it's like ex-Christians, and it's like trying to de- deceive Christians that the Bible is half of it's true and half of it's not true. And some parts of it are true, and you can't trust all of it. And Jesus said, beware that you do not fall into the deception of what people will twist. I don't care who says it. You always want to line up with, does this line up with the word of God? Listen, this word of God was written by flawed people, but it is not a flawed word. This is the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. This is the inspired word of God for us to read. Besides, there are so many opinions flying around today. Why not go back to what was God speaking during that time that Jesus was on earth? So Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am in the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Don't lose your head, church. Don't lose your peace. We are called to be reconcilers of peace. We are not called to run around like chickens with our heads cut off. He said, such things will happen, but the end is still to come. Now watch this. Jesus is saying, there's going to be precursors to the end times, but the end times has not happened yet. Okay, so what we've just walked through, I sense in my spirit is like a pop quiz. How many of y'all remember in school the pop quizzes that your teacher would just spring on you? And they'd say, all right, books off the desk, pop quiz. And we'd be like, but we weren't prepared. I remember this one time, one of my teachers said, pop test. And I was like, what is a pop test? That's illegal. You cannot do a pop test. She said, you will be graded like this is a final test. But we weren't prepared for this. And the teacher was like, welcome to the real world, Mr. Doherty. Welcome to the real world. The real world is full of surprise tests. And she was right. Because here we are. And I don't think any of us were ready for what just happened 12 weeks ago. And all over the internet, all over the world, people are saying, what's going on? And there's turmoil, and there's heartbreak, and there's sadness, and there's grief, and there's famine, and there's plagues. And Jesus says, watch out, be ready. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. If you follow me, you will be persecuted. There will be people who hate you because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate each other. Jesus warns this. Church, this is a time to get right with God. Jesus says there will come a time where people will walk away from faith because it is not easy. Christianity is not a promise to an easy life, a pain-free life. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. This is why Jesus said, no one who builds a house does not take time at first to count the cost of what this house will cost. So when I say, are you ready to get saved? I'm I'm saying, are you ready to die for what you believe in? 
Because in the last days, there will be persecution. There will be people who hate you because you love Jesus, because you choose the ways of Jesus. Jesus says this hatred will stir up all over the world. And there will be an increase of wickedness. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Can I tell you that when you lean into the word of God about the end times, you're blessed. Revelation chapter 1, look at this, verse 3. Revelation 1, verse 3. Revelation is the final book of the Bible. It's the book that tells us what's going to happen in the end. And it is a letter to the church. This is to you, church. And, And this is what he says to John, who's writing this book. He says, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. When we read the word of God about the end times, we are blessed. Church, you're getting blessed by just sitting in the room, watching online. There is a blessing on those who lean into revelation. Blessed are those who hear the word and take it to heart and what is written in it because the time is running out. I remember in 2007, our church sent a missions team to China and I was on the trip. We went to Beijing, China and it was the year before the Summer Olympics in Beijing and I remember going down the streets and there was clocks everywhere in Beijing. And we got into our hotel, and there was massive clocks in the hotel we were staying in. We were there to preach the gospel, partner with orphanages and, and places there to minister. And, um, and I said, what are these clocks for? There was a countdown on it. They said, oh, we're getting ready for the Olympics. We must be ready. Time is running out. We've got 11 months, 21 days, 13 hours, 12 minutes. 29 seconds, you know, they were counting down. And I was like, wow, they are serious about preparing. But then I remember the next year in 2008, watching the Summer Olympics in Beijing and watching as they came out on the field and there was this uniformed, how many of y'all remember watching the Olympics? There was this uniformed march and dance that came out on the field. It was, it, it was so scary because it was just, ama- it was perfect. And it was like 10,000 soldiers came out on the field in Beijing. They were preparing. There was an urgency. They knew time is running out. We've got to show the world what we can do. Can I tell you, time is running out, church. And it is time for this church and for churches all over the world, Christians all over the world. If you are lukewarm, you better get hot. If you are sitting on the fence, if you are trying to play church and then play in this other, it is time. During this pandemic, it has been a moment where the world is recognizing we cannot do what we've always done. We've got to get right with God. Right when the pandemic began, one of the first things they said is, don't worry, Walmart will be open and the wine and spirits stores will be open. Don't worry, it is essential. We've gotta have the wine and spirits stores flowing. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is essential and he didn't shut down and there is a better spirit to get filled up on in these last days? And did you know the record, the the sales increased 400% on wine and liquor and beer? 400% this increase. People trying to cope with stress, anxiety, fear. And those wine, that wine and those spirits, they, they do stuff to your mind. They do stuff to your attitude, to your heart. 
And there's something that happens when you get filled with the right spirit. It begins to change your heart. It begins to change your eyesight. It begins to change your vision. You start seeing people through the eyes of God. You start treating people with the heart of God. You start walking in the ways of God. I want to give you five things that we know from scripture that we need to do to prepare for the end. I want the keys to come out. Number one, get right with God. Get right with God. Five things to be ready for the end. The end is clear. You got to get right with God. Get right. Revelation 2, the, the letter to this church. He said this, I know your deeds. I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wickedness. I know that you've endured tough times. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You've forsaken your first love. And then he says this in verse 5, therefore I tell you, Remember where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Unless you repent. The lampstand is the impact that that church had. I will remove your power. I'll remove your light. You'll dissolve. If you don't come back to your first love, what is coming back to your first love? It's one thing to be married to someone. It's another thing to be in love with your spouse. Just because you're married to someone doesn't mean that you're walking in total love with that person. Just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't mean you're walking in the ways of Christ. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who are not walking in the ways of Jesus. They're carrying racism in their heart, carrying prejudice towards other people. They're carrying greed in their spirit. They're carrying envy towards other people who got gifts that they don't have. Comparison, jealousy, strife, anger, rudeness, meanness, murderous thoughts towards people who do mean things to them. You may never murder someone, but if you imagine it, Jesus said, if you thought about killing your brother, if you thought about killing your wife, if you thought about killing your husband, some of y'all are like, man, I need to repent right now because he ticked me off on the way to church and I was ready to punch him in the face. There's a lot of violence going on in our world right now. It starts in the mind. Violence and, and hurt and anger starts in the heart. So the letter to the church is get right with God. Get your mind right. Get your emotions right. Get your heart right. Get back to your first love. Lord, I, I just... Coming back to your first love doesn't mean doing more activity for God. It means having more intimacy with God. All right, so this church was persevering. The letter to this church in Revelation 2, there were seven churches. This church, they were good at doing good deeds, but they had drifted from walking in intimacy with God. What does that mean? It's like Martha. She's busy working, working, working. Come on, I, I fed so many people. I helped so many people. I did all of this stuff for you. I've just been doing stuff for you. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but you haven't even sat in my presence and just worshiped and just read your Bible, not for a sermon, but just to read your Bible, just to spend alone time with Jesus. Come back to your first love. Come back to being loved by God. Intimacy. So, Lord, I repent, we repent if we've gotten too busy. Help us to be in that first love with you. Number two, watch and pray. What can we do? The end is clear. Jesus said, watch and pray. He told a parable in Matthew 25 about 10 virgins. And he said the bridegroom was coming, but he would come at any moment. You may not know when he's going to come. In the twinkling of an eye, 
in the middle of the night, he might show up. And the, the point is, have your oil burning. Have your lamps burning because you don't know when he's going to come back. So watch. Watch and be ready, church. And all of a sudden, the bridegroom showed up in the middle of the night. You can read it later on, Matthew 25. When he shows up, five of the virgins were ready, but the other five weren't. And the other five who weren't, they said, please give us some oil. We weren't ready. We weren't prepared. So can you do it for us? And they said, you got to go and you got to buy the oil yourself. And then the door was shut. Jesus said, in the last days, you must watch and you must pray. Keep your eyes open. Don't bury your head in the sand. Be aware of what's going to be in the world, but not of the world. Watch and pray. Don't watch and be afraid. Don't watch the news and be anxious. Don't watch CNN and be paranoid. Don't watch Fox News and be overwhelmed with grief and discouragement. Watch and pray, 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 pray. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. A woman who prays on her knees will always be more powerful than a woman who screams. A man who prays on his knee. Listen, there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. We have power when we pray. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen prayer change things. Someone was sending me videos this week. Number two, watch and pray. What can we do? The end is clear. Jesus said, watch and pray. He told a parable in Matthew 25 about 10 virgins. And he said the bridegroom was coming, but he would come at any moment. You may not know when he's going to come. In the twinkling of an eye. In the middle of the night, he might show up. And the, the point is, have your oil burning. Have your lamps burning because you don't know when he's going to come back. So watch. Watch and be ready, church. And all of a sudden, the bridegroom showed up in the middle of the night. You can read it later on, Matthew 25. When he shows up, five of the virgins were ready, but the other five weren't. And the other five who weren't, they said, please give us some oil. We weren't ready. We weren't prepared. So can you do it for us? And they said, you got to go and you got to buy the oil yourself. And then the door was shut. Jesus said, in the last days, you must watch and you must pray. Keep your eyes open. Don't bury your head in the sand. Be aware of what's going to be in the world, but not of the world. Watch and pray. Don't watch and be afraid. Don't watch the news and be anxious. Don't watch CNN and be paranoid. Don't watch Fox News and be overwhelmed with grief and discouragement. Watch and pray, 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 pray. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. A woman who prays on her knees will always be more powerful than a woman who screams. A man who prays on his knees. Listen, there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. We have power when we pray. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen prayer change things. Week of people praying all over our nation, the stuff the news won't show. Cops and civilians gathered together on streets. On, on, there was one picture someone sent me of people all on Golden Gate Bridge, thousands of people gathered and just praying together, praying together. God's coming back for a church that is woke and a church that is praying and a church that is on fire and a church that is hot and a church that is not lukewarm and a church that is in unity and a church that is ready for his return. In fact, there was a word that believers used to say to each other. They had a greeting for each other. The greeting was a word called Maranatha. Just say that with me, Maranatha. Y'all are like, oh, I used to have that worship album from the 80s, the Maranatha worship. No, no, no. It was a word that they used to greet each other. Like, what's up? Like, hey, hello, hi. But they would say, Maranatha, Maranatha, Paul, Maranatha, AJ, Maranatha, John, Maranatha, Sharon. Maranatha meant, get ready, Jesus is coming back. Maranatha was a greeting of anticipation that we are advancing the kingdom of God and we are preparing for his return. 
So we're not sitting here waiting, you know, hiding in our houses saying, oh, I can't wait until Jesus returns and brings heaven down to earth. Maranatha meant I'm getting out of my house and I'm advancing the kingdom of heaven here on earth and I'm expecting Jesus to return, but I am not sitting and bunkering down. I'm out there on the streets. I'm out there bringing hope. I'm out there reconciling brothers and sisters and families and I'm doing everything I can. Number three, stand fast in your faith. The end is clear. What should we do? We should stand fast in our faith. There are people who are caving in, compromising, leaving the faith. It takes more courage to live with the tension of having unanswered questions than it does to just settle for a life without faith to say, if I can't explain it, then I'm not going to believe it. I saw someone's post who said, I'm leaving the Christian faith because I can't get all my questions answered anymore. And uh, this was a prominent you know, musical artist, and he said, I'm, I'm leaving the Christian faith because I don't, I don't know all the answers anymore, and since I can't get all the answers, I'd rather live with the reason and the logic of what I can explain. Do you know that faith is not being able to explain things? Faith is embracing the uncertainty. It takes more courage to live a life of faith than it does to live a life of just settling for certainty, settling for what you can explain. The wisest man in the world during his time, Solomon, he talked himself into foolishness. He had it right when he was writing the beginning of Proverbs. Before he got into Ecclesiastes, he, he wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own logic and understanding and intellectual thoughts, but trust in the Lord and he will direct your paths. But later on, he, he gave into all of the books and the studies and science and he tried to explain everything. And finally, he got so depressed in his logic and reasoning and intellect because most people who leave the faith, they stop giving out, they stop serving, they stop showing compassion, they stop helping people. Most of the hospitals we see all over the world were started by people of faith. St. Francis, St. John, all of these hospitals and rescue homes and sex trafficking rescue homes and orphanages were started by the church because when you have faith, you move in compassion, you live like Jesus, you serve and change your community. Number four, what should we do? Y'all ready, church? Number four, be a daily advocate for his kingdom come here on earth. Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus told his disciples, when you go out in the streets, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, cast out demons, preach the gospel, make disciples of all. What was he saying? He was saying, advance the kingdom of God. Bring heaven down to earth. We are not waiting for one day heaven to show up on earth. We are forcefully advancing the kingdom of heaven on earth. What does that mean? That means we are bringing his hope, his love, his peace, his compassion, his reconciliation, his restoration. We are gathering today, this morning, and we are saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is peace. The kingdom of God is healing. The kingdom of God is love. The kingdom of God is brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. Look around the room. This is a taste of the kingdom of God. When Tim is next to me, when AJ is next to me, and, and, and we've got people in the world saying this should not, like there's, there's, Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated hour in the week is Sunday mornings in the church. Not in this house, because we are bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's, oh yeah, let me show you this picture. Um, a few, a few years ago, me and Tim and AJ showed up and we were out on the street and we were just walking together. Uh, we went down to downtown area. We stood with our friend and he said, Hey Paul, will you hold this sign with me? And I said, yeah, I would be honored to hold this sign with you. 
And so we just held this sign and we just prayed and we just walked together and smiled. And I remember that day someone said, why are you standing there holding that sign? I said, because God's desire is that all racism, all prejudice would end. God's desire is that all brothers and sisters would dwell together in unity. This was a peaceful moment. God wants his church to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth in every city, every town. He wants, he wants families being healed. I'm so grateful for the foster care parents in this church who are adopting boys and girls and raising them with love and getting them in the house. It's time to be a part of the change. Stop cursing the darkness and start lighting a match in the middle of the room and saying, I'm going to be a light in my company. Stop praying to be delivered from wicked people and start bringing righteousness and hope and love to those people that are caught in sin. God needs you more than ever. Number five, be filled with his spirit. Be filled with his spirit. Will you stand your feet all over this place? It's time to get filled with his spirit. I was at a restaurant not too long ago and I saw this man. I was sitting at a table, a booth, about probably 15 feet away, but I just looked over and I was with Ashley and I saw this man who was sitting at the bar at the restaurant. It's kind of a separate area. And he just had his head down and he just kept going like this to the bartender. Keep it coming, keep it coming. Keep it pouring, keep it pouring. And I could tell you it had several glasses of whatever he was drinking. I need another one, I need another one. And I just started thinking on Pentecost, there's a bartender in heaven. And he's saying, I got a spirit that is greater than any spirit you could drink on earth. And if you just tell me, keep it coming, keep it coming. I need another one. I need more of your spirit. I need more of your spirit. I need more of your peace. I need more. I need another drink. God, I need more of you. God, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. I need more of you. God wants to encounter you this morning. He wants you to leave changed this morning. He wants you to leave set free this morning. He wants you to leave with more joy this morning. I hear him saying, I'm pouring drinks and I'm not running out today. Anybody who wants more of my spirit, come, come. One of the last things Jesus said in Revelation 22, anyone who's thirsty, come, come and drink from the river because I've got what you need. I've got what you need. You won't find it in liquor. You won't find it in pornography. You won't find it in violence. You won't find it in bitterness. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in success. He's pouring, he's pouring. And he says, come on, ask me and I'll give it to you. If you ask me for the spirit, I'll give it to you. I'll give you freely, liberally. I will pour out my spirit on sons and daughters and they will prophesy. So I want to invite you this morning. If you want to leave your seat, come down to this altar. Take a minute. I don't want to leave today until we have an encounter with God. Let's just take five minutes. Five minutes to linger in His presence. Five minutes to worship. Five, come on, let's just, if you want more of God, if you need more of His Spirit, if you're here today and you need to get filled up on the Holy Spirit, if you need to get filled up on God this morning, come on, let's just worship. Yeah, you can come and find a spot at the altar. No one's going to lay hands on you. Don't worry. But God is going to impact you. God is going to impact you. If you're here today and you're not right with God, come on down to the altar. If you need Jesus, come to the altar. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, come down to the altar. Come and join us.
Let's worship. We're ready for you, God. We're ready for you, God. We're ready for you, Lord. take a moment specifically to pray for the racial divide in our nation and just the unrest and the stirring that's happening across cities, the, the things that we're seeing on the news. And my prayer has just been, Lord, heal our land because that's what we need right now. We just need healing. We need restoration. We need healing from sin. Healing flows when repentance begins in the hearts of men. And God wants to heal, I believe, the wounds in our nation that have been caused by sin. Sin. Racism is a sin. And there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in our nation when we read in the history books and there is a, there's a, a cry and we're seeing this. And so I'm going to invite up Pastor AJ who leads our Tulsa Dream Center, the executive director of Tulsa Dream Center. And I just felt this morning that Pastor AJ needs to lead us in a prayer. And um, if there's anything on your heart to share before we pray, go ahead. 
How many believe that God's a healer? How many believe that God is a healer? And like Pastor Paul said, man, racism is a sin. And I know everybody's not able, but if you're able to, I'm going to ask that you just, you kneel down. If you can kneel down. There's a lot of hurting people. Even Friday at the Tulsa Dream Center, little boys and girls came up and said, what do we do? What do we do, Tim? What do we do, AJ? And I didn't have an answer. But God, right now we bow down. Jesus. We bow down before you and we cry out, we need you, Lord. We need you in our nation. We need you in our land. We need you across the world. So we cry out. The greatest healer of all. The greatest lover of all. We need your love. God, some don't know, don't wanna, don't know what to do. So they may be acting out. But God, we, we just need your love. We need your grace. Perfect love casts out all fear. So we release the love of God and we raise up the standard against fear, against hate, against racism, against ignorance. God, make us aware of your love. Make us aware of your grace. God, let us set aside our opinions and our feelings. Genesis 1:27. we were created in the image of God. So it doesn't matter what we may look like or who we are. We were created in the image of God. So, Lord, we thank you that we see everyone through that filter. That's through the filter of God. That's through the filter of love. And the greatest of these is love. So, God, we cry out right now. Lord, we lift up the families of all the hurting boys and girls, black, white, Asian, Indian, it doesn't matter the race or the age. We just thank you for love right now like never before. Let love triumph. We thank you for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And understanding. Let us be led by your spirit. Even those that may not be filled with the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord, that they're going to sense a leading on how to be sensitive because you're a sensitive father. You're a caring father. You're a loving father. Forgive our nation, God. Forgive our world. And we release the peace of God like never before. Fall afresh. The north, the south, the east and the west, every country, every continent. We just thank you and we give you praise. Now just stand up and just begin to give them thanks. Give them thanks. Thank you, Lord, how you kept us. Thank you, Lord, how you're protecting us. Thank you, Lord, that you are our way maker. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts are healed, that our bodies are healed. Thank you, Lord, that yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow, we'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So God, we just thank you that we can tap into your presence. In Jesus' name.